A few episodes ago, we briefly mentioned the truth about the first Thanksgiving that you were never told, or at least an aspect that you were never told, and that is the heavy influence that beer had on the relationship between the Wampanoag Native Americans and the English pilgrims. If it were not for the native Samoset making peace with the pilgrims, the later feast may never have come about. You'll remember that this is the native who boldly walked directly into the camp and cried out, Hello, Englishmen! Do you have beer? This well-documented event in March of 1621 was only eight months before the famed Thanksgiving feast, in which more natives dined than there were pilgrims. While we do not have the conclusive evidence that any alcohol was served during the fine meal, we do know that the pilgrims loved it, as the later group of Puritans would arrive to the New World with 10,000 gallons of beer on board the Arabella. Another fact you may not know is that the first Thanksgiving feast lasted three days. And you thought you ate a lot of turkey and casserole growing up. What convicted the pilgrims to do such a thing? As much joy as there is to be had for a colony's first harvest, there had to be something greater that told them this was all an offering to the Lord, right? Of course there is. The very words of God. Scripture tells us in many places how and when we ought to offer feasts unto the Lord. After all, he made us hungry. Feasts demonstrate the Lord's joy, generosity, creativity, and love. So how should we feast? We hope to unpack some answers with you during this episode. So that in the final analysis, you may know your doctrines and know your grains. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Doctrines of Grains, in which we are so honored to be celebrating Thanksgiving with you, even though, if we're being completely honest, it's August right now. But 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 anyway, at the time of recording, this part of the episode. You know, um, yes, and I'm very proud of our planning and capabilities where we're like, <laughs> let's celebrate the holidays in August. Yes. For for all five of you who have been faithful to the show, uh, we thank you so much for giving us the screen time. And we apologize that, uh, you know, when you have a full-time pastor and dad and entrepreneur and all kinds of other things, and then a Navy man, we just, yeah, it's a, uh, this, this, as you can imagine, is not the second or third priority, but it is our funnest priority or among them. So do you know why it is so fun? We get to talk about feasting. Yeah. It's a theme that you pointed out has kind of like run as a current throughout our entire uh, show this far, show. Yeah. First yeah. season. Uh, like especially in the first few episodes. Um, and so we get to see the culmination of that and especially like the, the church calendar aspect as well. Yeah. But more importantly, as we get to our grains for today. One of the best things about the holidays, Cole, do you know what it is? Eating. No. Okay. All right. Not eating. No, I will Fasting. say no. 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 <laughs> There's an Orthodox somewhere who would preach say that. <laughs> One of the best things about the holidays? Port. 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 Okay. So I had never had port until I was watching a, a Christmas carol. It was a version of the Christmas carol, black and white. And uh, Fred comes into Ebenezer Scrooge's office and he's talking to, um, to Bob Cratchit. And he's like, oh, do you want something to warm you up? And he goes, what do you have there? And he goes, I have port, Bob, the fifth essence of the Christmas spirit. And I was just like, I've never had port. <laughs> and now I am going to go get port. You're telling me that 
you're telling the Christmas Carol, a, a powerful story unpacking the the morals of the true meaning of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Made me you want to drink. Yeah, taught me how to celebrate. <laughs> it made you want to drink. Right way. No, yeah, we have different experiences with port. Mine was I had a pastor who for 17 years worked at a vineyard and was like, "You need to try this." So I guess also kind of uh, not the normal way people are introduced. To, most pastors aren't giving their parishioners port, so. yeah, especially in the deep south. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That's what I say. He worked at a vineyard in Louisiana. But anyway, yeah, let's crack this bad boy open and show everyone okay. the fancy way you're going to do it. So um, the the grains that we have today for you, it is a port wine. And just like how our theme for the whole show is keep it local, you know, Christian localism, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, I, I was like, oh, we're going to do a, a, a Thanksgiving feast episode. We need to find a Virginia port wine. So this is actually the only wine produced in Virginia that can be be called a port wine. A, a true port. Anyway. A, true, a port. true port. And it comes from Horton Vineyards. Uh, and this is out of Orange County, Virginia. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pop this bad boy open. <laughs> right now. This is, hey, this is not fake. This is real deal. Oh, oh, through the plastic. I didn't know that did yeah. that. Oh, that's fancy. Come on, man. I was going to read the little thing on the back, but if you want to. Oh, go ahead. Read it. <laughs> as this I will make the bloopers. This. Again, as this is like the probably fifth or sixth time I'm like, I hope this ends up on reform funny moment. <laughs> oh, man. I was hoping for like something bad to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I wanted to end up on reform funny moments, but <laughs> that'll do it. That'll do it, folks. Anyway, before we before we take our first sips, it says uh, Horton was the first to make a commercially available port in Virginia since Prohibition. Again, a true port. Uh, this port is a blend of a traditional Tariga Nacion- Nacional. Yeah, and some other fancy. Tanita. Get into it. Chow. Tanita Chow. Yeah, big, full bodied, <laughs> sweet with a refined, refined, reformed, refined texture and aromas of blackberry and cherry perfumes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smell that. Oh, yeah, I already did. Oh, okay. Way well, ahead of you. Go. Okay, well, all right. Let's you were too it. busy reading stuff. This is probably oh so so another reason that we wanted to go with this as opposed to uh, to another beer or a whiskey um, was so as we stated in the intro, the Arabella when the the Puritans came over later to the Massachusetts Bay Colony uh, is actually we said ten thousand gallons of beer because really fifty percent of the historians say that and the other fifty say wine and this is cl- much closer to wine clearly right. Um, but at the end of the day, no matter if it was beer or it was wine, it was alcohol. And so a lot of feasts came out of, came from that alcohol, I'm sure. And refer to our uh, episode on the theology of alcohol, episode two, if you want to know why we're so excited about wine and feasting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really, really powerful theology. But to the king. To the king. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Oh my goodness! It was a. Uh, I really, oh you know, word. I tell you, I tell you what though, dude. I was kind of like psychologically led into that because this said um, blackberry and cherry perfumes, and I don't know, like. In other words, if I hadn't read that, I don't know if that's what I immediately would have associated. But now, yeah, this is like a cherry coke. Like uh, this is this, <laughs> this is. is like, and now I'm smiling. I'm now you have the warm. smile effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at those legs. You can't really see that on the. Uh, Unless we got it really close in there, but I don't want to mess up the shot. But wow. No. This dude, is uh, this is the absolute best port I have ever had. Yeah, but didn't you? I mean, 
<laughs> I feel a man inspired to drink port from Christmas Carol probably doesn't have uh, how many ports have you had? <laughs> you know, like I, I know I that will I, tell you that was like 10 years ago that okay. that happened. So, um, so many a port since many then. Many a port. I, yeah, I'll say this is uh, now that I take a sip of this, like I said, I was introduced to port through my pastor, my Presbyterian pastor. We take real wine and communion because we're real Christians. Anyway, um, but the, the, when I said this, I'm like, wait a minute, because he's the one who decides what's going in the, you know, the, the communion plates and the, what we're picking out of. Like, has this man been putting port in communion? <laughs> like, because I think he has. <laughs> like, it tastes like this made me immediately think of communion. Good Christian men rejoice, rejoice. <laughs> heart and soul and voice. Christmas, Give you Christmas you episode. What we say, oh. Jesus Christ is born today. Yeah. Anyway, well, we have to rate this thing. All right. So remember our scaling system, right? Uh-huh. So. If I can remember our scaling system, it was basically zero to four. Don't waste your money. Mm-hmm. Like just, just trash, right? Five to I think we said eight was like I would have it again, and or I really, really, really like it. Eight to ten, like so. So eight, uh, eight point one to ten is like stop everything you're doing and tell everyone, right? Um, you always rate high, and I know you're going to rate this one high. Oh, I know, know you're going to you know. rate this one high. Because you gave uh, – what was it? Because this is also kind of like season one in review, as this is the finale. So, And everything that we've had, I think I've only seen you get this excited. You guys hold me accountable. I think um, the uh, the Bowman Brothers small batch, I think, was the only other time I saw you this excited. No. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know what? Local people make good things. They do make good things. Remember that, local people. You local people. Yeah. We are so used to an industrialized, globalized economy where you get this homogenized Mm. version of everything so that when it comes down to to greatness, you're missing out. You're just getting the crumbs from the table. This is an exquisite port. I am telling you, man. (laughs) Give it the rate. <laughs> oh, you you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a ten. Of course. Oh my goodness, we <laughs> you gotta, hate we, whenever I well, rate I, these cause, things because then because a ten, if we give everything a ten, then nothing's a ten. But but I will say this is really really tasty, and I, no disrespect, I, I was. It's not that I was not trying to listen to your beautiful solilo- soliloquy just now, but when I was reading the back of the bottle, <laughs> it said, "All right, the way this is worded." All I saw in the bottle was women should not drink. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was thinking, man, this is so based. I was, <laughs> like, I was like, how based? How based is this coming? No, 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 no. It just says, it It, it goes on to say who are, are during pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so for a second, I was like, huh? I was like, man, we're really throwing it back to prohibition, huh? We're doing, I mean, so, we're so the uh, the bottle, it's, it's just, it's classy. I mean, it's very Ooh. standard. You got a, a silhouette of the actual vineyard. Um, Oh, so man, this is good. Now the price point is high on this one. It's yeah, this higher was like than thirty dollars, forty dollars. Yeah, it was it was in between thirty and forty. I think it was like yep. thirty five. You mm. can order it online good grief, as well. Man. So if you go Those to legs the, are the Horton Vineyards uh, website, uh, you can see the story about it and, and all of that. But but you can order it from their website. You can also I think we got you got this at Total Wine. Total Wine. Shout out Virginia. Yeah, I've been hurting in Florida. Love you. I love Florida. Make America Florida again. But they don't have the alcoholic resources like Virginia does. I'm so excited to finish recording so I can tell my brother about this. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. (laughs) Let me. All right. So my rating. I see your ten. I I will not. I will not call. I will. um, 
I will give it a respectable 9.3 and a quarter. Three and a half. I will give it a 9.3. I'll give oh, it a... I will see your excitement, sir. And I will <laughs> yeah, give... don well, my glasses. I, I and... only, okay, I will say that this is without a doubt, like probably the tastiest red beverage I have had in, <laughs> in 2022 to 2023. So like in the last two years, why, why, why? The tastiest red beverage. Yes. I mean, and that everything from a Merlot to uh, what is it? Code red from Mountain Dew. Right. So, so it's a lo- it's a big spectrum there. This is the best one, but again, I'm always hesitant to give tens and I have to admit I am otherwise ignorant to a plethora of ports. So this being the only the second port that I have knowingly had. Shout out Pastor Dan for possibly secretly putting this in communion. Um, so Horton I, I, Vineyards, I apologize nine, for the ignorance. Yeah, yeah nine point three across the table for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was yeah. This was delicious. The other aspect about this is that it's a uh, eighteen and a half percent alcohol. That so makes sense. You who just <laughs> makes sense, All right. Mr. Nine Point Three and a quarter over here. Yeah, so, just completely. <laughs> so my math got better. As yeah. We, as you drink so, this. Uh, so yeah, as you drink it, enjoy it. Don't uh, don't just uh, knock it back because this Whoops. is a this is the type of wine that you sit around in uh, your armchair during the holiday season and you yep. listen to someone read a Christmas carol. <laughs> <laughs> or, or as the fire you're... roars in the background and the the lights from the Christmas tree are are, are twinkling. Or uh, th- I know this is a Thanksgiving episode, but yeah, I was about to say you're really leaning into Christmas here. Uh, Thanksgiving, I was going to say R.I.P. Tiny Tim. Um, <laughs> if if you were the Pilgrims, for example, you would not have consumed this on the first day of feasting. You would have made it last all three days. So yeah. remember that. Drink responsibly. Drink to the king, and, um, and don't drink to the dregs. Yes. Okay. Well. So shall we move on? We shall move on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Doctrines of Grains podcast. And this is Seth, as always. I'm Cole, as always. But tonight we have the Ben Garrett, the co-original Haunted Cosmonaut, the perennial carpenter of Boniface Woodworking fame, a contributor to the business and ministry of New Christendom Press, and perhaps the nation's most famous podcasting deacon, the Hyde Gay Branch. Ben, welcome to the show. And what did I forget in the intro? Nothing. That that was far too gracious and generous of you to say any of those things. Uh, I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you. Awesome I was stuff, impressed man. by well, Haunted Cosmonaut just flowing out naturally like that. That was impressive. I could not have said, what did you say? Co-original Haunted Cosmonaut? I would yeah. never have thought of that. Not, not to start being you know, secretistically saying co-substantial or, or co-eternal, I think, <laughs> but, you know, Brian, hopefully Brian watches this and he'll get a kick of that as well. Um, but this is Doctrines of Grains where we love to know our doctrines and know our grains. So, Ben, what are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I am enjoying a delicious Oscar Blues Dale's Pale Ale. And I'm enjoying it especially because it was only $2 at the local bottle shop. And I put it in the freezer for about 20 minutes. It's chilled just so. And I'm, I'm, I'm living large right now, you guys, on this, on this uh, six and a half percenter here. It's feeling good. Beautiful. Seth, what about you? Oh, man, I'm sticking with an old standby. You know, the old, uh, the old harp, the Guinness. Oh, look at that. Black gold. Yes, the mainstay well, of Christendom right here. Mm. Right. 
Amen. Amen. Indeed. Which we went out of our way. We'll continue to go out of our way to, uh, to prove to the world. I too, it, it's going to look like it's the same, but I promise it's not. This was a failed black and tan. I promise when I first poured it, it was beautiful 50, 50 yinling on the way down obsidian goodness on top, but uh, just like the kingdom of heaven, it couldn't be stopped. And now we have all this. So <laughs> cheers to the king. Gentlemen. Ah, cheers to the king. Well, anyone's wondering what are we going to be talking about tonight? Ben, we would love to survey the topic of a theology of feasting. What is feasting? Why should we do it? How does the Bible tell us that we should do it? Where do we get all this inspiration for saying that there's more to eating food than just eating food? Mm. Uh, and that's where we're going to be going in this episode, starting with what are the problems with evangelical feasting today? So, Ben, take it where you want it. I think the biggest problem is that evangelical feasting, it doesn't really exist because they think of feasting as just eating food. Uh, normally, you know, broadly speaking. And so you get this group of people together and all of these old ladies make the most amazing casseroles you've ever seen. And they are incredible saints of the living God. And then you just kind of eat the food and you don't like anyone that you're with. And that's it. <laughs> Part of being like, to me, being a city set on a hill lit up by good works, the pinnacle of that is a party. And, and, and you have to have feasting at a party. And so feasting to me is one of the best ways that you can show to the rest of the world that you're known by your love for one another. And I don't think evangelicals today do that because I don't think evangelicals today are known by their love for one another. Uh, so you've got to get that right first, and then you can get to the feasting thing. you got to walk and run. You know? Gracious. Well, right out the gate... Take that, uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Seth, do you have any follow-ups to that? Oh, that was like the Muhammad Ali of, like, let's get into this. <laughs> we have a particular style in Ogden, and it's uh, called the Jack style. <laughs> awesome stuff. So, so I, think, I think in that, I think what we also discussed before the show was, uh, well, Seth, Seth and I were talking really about that exact thing. Um, uh, like, I like how you described it. It is church ladies putting together some you know, good fried chicken and runny mashed potatoes, as Seth had talked about. Mm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you're really just in there to get out of there. Um, but then also, too, um, and I'm sure Seth will elaborate on that in a second, uh, I know that I grew up in a heavily, you know, Southern Baptist context where we have no problem with the fried chicken and mashed potatoes. But the minute you try to bring in that Dale's pale ale, right, it's it's heresy. <laughs> we can never yeah. talk about it, never do it. And uh, my grandfather was a Southern Baptist preacher for 40 years. And he was beside himself when uh, before my wedding, all the men at my Presbyterian church, they uh they threw a little feast for me, basically. And we had Buffalo Trace and Yinling and all this. And he walked in with his eyes as big as the moon. And uh, But we took him aside afterwards and assured him that this was this was biblical. But yeah. uh, Seth, do you have anything to say on the, the church ladies and their fried chicken? No, I, uh, I say God bless them um, because that's yeah. a good fried chicken. Um, and, you know, what's what's amazing to me, though, uh, is that that in the midst of all of it, even though they aren't thinking of it in terms of a, like biblical feasting, that the, uh, the heart behind it still shines through. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. this is still, it's still hardwired into the, the thoughts of, and the hearts of, uh, of Christians is to gather and to eat together. Um, but just the, 
how that plays out as far as how they're thinking about it, that's where that's the the topic we're trying to address today is is that there's a there's a really good reason why you're doing this. Um, yeah. And so my friend, well, uh, my friend and pastor, Eric Kahn, he was recently telling me a story about uh, one of the churches that he pastored in. <laughs> they would have a weekly potluck and they had to start telling the women to stop making so much food because they have they had way too many leftovers and they didn't know what to do with them. And to me, that is, of course, that's a great problem to have. Um, but I think it's because you're right, Seth, that their heart is still completely in the right place, even if they wouldn't be able to define it. And that is a posture of looking at the rest of the body and saying, my life for yours. We live in a covenant community. I'm going to give my life so that your life might be better. Um, and that, that's going to light your church up heavily, even if you don't even know you're doing it. And so when you do know that you're doing it and you're even more intentional, well, the, the blessings are sure to follow from that. Yeah. Amen. And to that, I mean, it's not just the, the church local body, but it's who, who says, you know, take my life, um, for yours essentially, but also, I mean, cause that's the savior we serve. He says that right. this takes the bread and said, this is my body given for you. Um, so, I mean, that certainly pans out whether we know it or, or not. Um, the, I think really what we're describing is it seems like there's there's two ditches here. Um, there are the folks who, like Seth's talking about, they're intrinsically already doing this and, and praise be to God. They haven't made the connection to, oh, this says a lot more than just we can cook good food for a lot of people. Um, it says a lot about the character of the church, who she is, what is her mission, and who is this God that invites us to his table? But then on the other side, you have folks that are, are death, almost deathly afraid of it, of we as a church aren't going to do this kind of thing together. Everyone go home and do it when you're watching, you know, Sunday night football, but we want to stay away from anything dangerous. Does, does anyone want to elaborate on that? I'll, uh, you know, I was talking to my other friend and pastor, Brian Sauvet this morning about, um, about how cringe Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox people get about having sex when you're married, where they're like, Oh, you're not allowed to have sex on the Lord's day just gar absolute nonsense like that. And, and, and basically it's like peak, it's peak Pharisaism, you know, like they are taking this doctrine of God and they're working a doctrine of men around it and saying like, that is the, the law of God. And it reminds me a lot about teetotalers, like these teetotaling Baptists, they found beer and they were like, wow, what a great gift God gave to man to lighten the hearts of men. Right. And then around this good gift that God gave, they decided to make all these laws of men that were driven by their own fear of themselves, not even of the living God. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that when people fall into the ditch of being afraid of proper feasting, of jovial, loud children bouncing off the walls, um, you know, some good wine flowing type feasting, it betrays a complete lack of proper fear of God. And they're actually turning into this Pharisee that's doing what the Roman Catholic does with sex and saying like, you see that good gift? Too bad. The Sabbath wasn't made for you. You were made for the Sabbath. So you're not allowed to do anything fun anymore. Even though God told us to enjoy one another and do very fun things. I love the sound bites we're getting from this. <laughs> I'm going to have t-shirts that say Ben Garrett really loves feasting, if you know what I mean. Uh, oh, yeah. We're gonna <laughs> uh, big time. So... 
uh, you know, we always we always poke fun at the Baptists because they're just like that brother that you can always poke. Um, but I will pull a Spurgeon uh, quote out here for a second. Um, someone was like, yeah, I, I once read a Spurgeon quote where he was like, you know, after I preach on Sunday, I go home, I enjoy a cigar and have sex with my wife, like something like that. Yeah, what, a, what a king. What a king. Yeah. What a king. And all you no, can think of is like just the, just like the picture of him just like sitting there like hmm. right. just preach this, just preach the doctrines of God. Going to enjoy them now. Well, it's funny that y'all bring that up because one, Ben, I definitely did not expect you to make that connection, but very well. <laughs> praise be to God, Amen. Uh, but it reminds me of no kidding. I saw memes this week that were going viral of uh, apparently how Luther like vehemently attacked exactly what you're describing, basically the monastic view of sex and marriage um, and was just like, no, absolutely not. And and he, he as always, Luther always knew which uh, bu- uh, buttons to press. He was talking about how this is all connected to, you know, soiled Marian dogma and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. at the very least, I'll, uh, I'll save all the Luther citations and I'll just quote Ben Garrett in the future. Um, <laughs> but really, it sounds like huge downgrade. What a massive downgrade. <laughs> Well, it sounds like this is really a, a soft Gnosticism, where, again, uh, we, we make this hyper distinction that the Bible does not make between the spiritual and the physical. The physical always being, at the end of the day, somehow evil and bad, and we need to purge it, versus the, the ultimate good, the final good, the really only true good of the spiritual. Um, and so, I mean, I think you gentlemen would agree that our feasting ought not to look like that. It ought to look like what we see in Scripture, which we're going to get to here in a second, of a harmony and the spiritual, the physical, because that's, again, the Savior that we serve. He is the God-man. Right. Yeah, I mean, all of creation is, is permeated through and through with the physical and the spiritual. Of course, there's, you know, a whole side of creation that is non-physical, that's, that's not corporeal, and that, uh, and that frankly, we, we can't fully comprehend. But it is this soft Gnosticism that seems to have, have really like burrowed itself into the modern church. And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you actually step back and think about it, because what it actually does is it lessens the goodness of the spiritual because what, what God says is, okay, I'm going to be a man. Now I'm going to be the God, man. I'm going to redeem the entire world. Well, how dare you call a thing that God redeemed bad and, and, and evil uh, and intrinsically evil, where God actually started calling it intrinsically very good. And then he calls it that again now. We're going to the garden again. And so uh, it, you actually lessen the glory of the spiritual thing that you're trying to elevate when you get these affections so horribly disordered. And you say that only one is good, the other one is bad. Functionally, like no one is going to just say that outright, but they're going to behave as if that's true. So you're going to have like super obese pastors that are insanely fat. That are and and their children are unruly, and they'll tell you that that peak masculinity is pure doctrine. Well, pure doctrine is embodied, and your body is clearly not embodied with pure doctrine because you look like you're about to explode. That's Gnosticism. Like that's functional Gnosticism, and and you can see that there there's so many examples of that. <laughs> So I'm sorry. So we've had a long I, week. We've had a long week in the office, and I'm tired. I was about to say, we've, gone, <laughs> we've gone after 
we don't know the church, the modern church doesn't know how to love because we don't know how to have food with one another. Uh, the Catholics and Orthodox are scared about having sex on the Sabbath, and fat pastors need to repent. That's what we got tonight. Yeah, indeed. Fat pastors are cringe. L plus ratio. Stop. Simply Man, lose I weight. wish you would have spoken at any one of my summer camps growing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I may have gotten I'm saved a lot you, sooner. <laughs> drinking a, a beautiful Dale's Pale Ale. Sponsored, not really. Drinking a beautiful Dale's Pale Ale while doing this is just a very dangerous thing. Very, really, very dangerous. Very good. Well, great. I don't. I don't think there's anything left to say. I think that's just about it. I think we really identified the soft Gnosticism. But that being said, we've talked about the um, the problems with evangelical feasting today, the, the pitfalls that we dive, we swan dive or belly flop into, um, some apparently larger splashes than others, according to Ben. Um, but that being said, let's let's start uh, with a, a biblical survey of biblical feasting. Why do we feast, Ben? Hmm. We feast because God told us to at the beginning. Uh, God planted a garden and he gave the whole garden to Adam and Eve, except for one, one thing. And they were supposed to enjoy the fruits of that garden. They were supposed to feast before the Lord and, and, and be filled with, with, with joy and peace. And, uh, and then you see how they lost that right to feast so freely before God because they feasted improperly before God. And, then all of the Old Testament, basically, and, and into Christ's ministry, but especially embodied in the wilderness generation, is, is God's refining his people and sanctifying and chastising his people so that they might be holy enough to go into the garden once more and feast before him again. And you see that they constantly chafe against that idea. It's, it's as if they've fallen so far that they, they actually hate the idea of feasting before the living God. Um, and so you see that they are continuously falling away. And even God goes so far as to say in Genesis or in uh, Psalm 95, that they will never, that none of them entered his rest, that he hated that generation and none of them entered his rest. Why? Because they didn't properly feast before God, partly. And they didn't understand what was going on. They were going through the wilderness to the garden. Christ comes here and he does what Israel couldn't do. He is the true Israel. Everywhere the nation failed, Christ stood and succeeded. And then he also paid the penalty for all of their and all of our sin so that it could be a garden again. Christ won the day. Zion is covering the world. And Zion is a garden mountain. And so now when we come together in our covenant renewal worship and in our services, we are feasting before, like the, the peak of the week is communion before God. The pinnacle of every Christian's week is a feast before the living God so that we can go from that garden state, from that holy mountain of the Lord and take the garden into the rest of the world that's still wilderness, that where Christ's lordship hasn't been fully realized yet because sanctification takes time for everything, including the land that we live on. And so we have to take feasting from before the living God into the rest of the week so that we can bring the feast of heaven into the world so that it might be sanctified, so that it might glorify the Lord, all the, so that the very stones would indeed cry out praises to the living God. So feasting as a, as a typological point is very important because it's been there from the beginning and history will conclude also with the consummation feast of the, of the wedding, you know, the wedding supper of the land. 
history began with a feast, it will end with a feast. And eternity will begin with a feast and it will be an ongoing feast. So we find ourselves now in this like liminal space of being allowed to feast before the living God again because he's just that gracious and kind. But also then being charged to go out and take the feast to the rest of the world, to baptize the nations. And what do you do after baptizing? What do you do after you get cleansed? You eat. <laughs> so the, the insinuation is that you would baptize the nations and then the nations would then feast before God uh, as it's meant to be. So we can go home now. Uh, thank, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming to the Doctrines of Grains. Like, that was, uh, wow. Seth, what do you got? Um, yeah. No, uh, it was everything for me to not just be like, yeah, amen. That's very distracting. <laughs> I would never do that. No, too um, so, but as you're talking about like the wilderness, uh, taking the communion out into the wilderness, it just reminded me of Psalm 65. Um, verses 11 and 12, uh, where it says, uh, you crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance, pastures of the wilderness overflow, the hills gird themselves with joy. And just looking mm-hmm. at like the state of the wilderness after, after the gospel's shared, after Christ has come and the world is, is conquered. I mean, the wilderness overflows the pastures of the wilderness and they're not dry arid spaces anymore. Um, and so, so yeah, sorry, that's, that's the, that was the association that I had as you were speaking. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I think that's just so beautiful. I think all of it's so beautiful. I was reading, uh, judges this morning. Uh, if anyone else is in the Bible reading challenge represent, um, (laughs) I was reading judges five, and it's Deborah and Barak's song after they defeat Sisera. And, oh, uh, and at the end one, so first of all, the idea is that in the, in the midst of singing, there would be a celebration. Celebrations would include a feast. Um, yeah. that's, that's subtext context clues. And there's two things that really st- stuck out to me. One of them always sticks out to me. It's, it's, I think it's verse 21 where it says that the stars fought against Sisera. Uh, as if the heavenly host itself was was fighting against the works of the uh, of the serpent in the world, and so there's that creation is actually longing with bated breath to celebrate the 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 coming of the Lord and the yeah. confirmation of the Lord's children on the earth. So there's that the stones crying out, and part of how we you know signify that is by our feasting in the midst of creation. We take of creation's fruit um, and we make it better. You know, we put seasoning on it and we put it together in such a way that it's now made more glorious. It's much, it's, it's, it's like a carpenter cuts down an an oak tree that's beautiful in its own right, infinitely complex, and then shapes it and molds it to become something that's even more glorious in its own right, which is a table that a family can then sit and eat at. (laughs) And then the other thing that stuck out was the very last verse of, of chapter five. It says something like, may the friends of God be as the sun rising in the morning in strength. And so just to go back on the Gnosticism point, there's all throughout scripture, we have examples of pure communion with God and celebration before God for his victory. Looks like, yes, feasting, but feasting in the context of creation itself being redeemed and rejoicing at the victory that Christ has won through his people. I don't think that's really that relevant to what we're saying. It's just been really on my mind today. And so I wanted to shoehorn it in. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely it's definitely relevant because really 
the the first question, you know, why do we feast? You, you really, in a beautiful way, you know, props to you. You painted really like the covenantal arc of feasting, the typological arc um, across the eschaton from beginning to end. Why do we feast? How do we see it? You know, in the redemptive work of God, and it was it was great. I was I was very entertained. But then as we start talking and leaning into, so, so in one sense, all of that tells us that there is a, a no kidding a union that occurs at the table. Of course, we see that from the the beginning, like you pointed out, uh, with Adam and the Lord in the garden. But then at the Lord's table every Sunday, we are really at the Father's table and united to Him through the Son. Uh, in the supper, uh, but then, but then now you're you're talking on another element. So you have that union, that uniting element, that reconciling element. Uh, but then I, I'd say that the transformation element, which you also hinted at, is highlighted. It's it's reined in with celebration because yeah. God always wins. And, he, so, and he, he, so that's that's where I think you were. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's where I think where you were going yeah, is uh, we serve a God who, no kidding, prepares a table uh, in the presence of our enemies. Those yeah. are always the yeah. best stories in scripture, like without a doubt. But uh, anyway, I'll let, I'll let you keep going on that. <laughs> no, no, it, you're exactly right. It, and it just reminded me of, of another really practical point. Uh, what this means is that when we come to the Lord's table, it is not a time of sullen melancholy. We've already confessed our sin. When we come to the Lord's table, it's a time of joviality. It's lighthearted. Um, and that sounds irreverent. It's not. The, our, our God is a jovial God. To, to reflect that attribute of his is to actually honor him. So as long as we do so appropriately. When we come to the Lord's table, it has to be the most joyful moment of the week. It can't be sullen. Everyone in the American church is obsessed with like crying while they take the Lord's Supper. And I don't mean tears of joy. I mean like they're mad at themselves. I'm like, you should have confessed your sin an hour ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Confession is what we start with. We end with communion. You don't cry when you're enjoying a dinner with your friends. How much more do you not cry when you're enjoying a dinner with the living God? That's ridiculous. You're completely not reading the room. You have to know your audience. <laughs> uh, but, but Ben, but Ben, we might take it unworthily. No, you won't. <laughs> you might take it unworthily. You might take it unworthily if you think that you if you think that God's grace isn't sufficient enough to cause you to actually uh deserve that service of his mm. it, it, that's strong language but i stand by it when we come together god is serving us we're worshiping him yes but he is pouring out his grace more and more uh, you know hundred proof grace is being poured out in the lord's service we are being served by the living god and how dare you look at his service and be like wow this makes me so sad i can't believe i'm just such a degenerate reprobate the point is not you you already <laughs> confessed your sin you won't be taking it in an unworthy manner if you've already confessed your sin and you're discerning the body in the context of the body of Christ, which is to say that no partiality is being shown and every saint is coming together to enjoy communion to the praise of the living God. And I actually mean enjoy. You're supposed to like it. <laughs> That's why I'm a big proponent of using port for your wine uh, in communion. Um, just throwing that out there. Wow. I um, heard that one. It's very nice. Dude, I'm sometimes. This is the wine for our church. I, uh, I always joke. I'm like, we should do white wine sometime, you know, just to throw people off. <laughs> Calvin <laughs> says it's permissible. <laughs> like, it's not the color that matters. 
So now yeah. that we're so, uh, 30 so, minutes in, we've identified like Gnosticism, soft Gnosticism as an issue with uh, people understanding feasting properly. Um, but then we just struck at another heart of the improper thought towards feasting, and that is the improper perception of, of the Lord's Supper. And mm. uh, I think that's that works itself out. And that goes back to what you were talking about in the very beginning, Cole, about, you know, if you were to ever bring one of these to a church potluck, you know, then like the party falls apart, like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Um, and that's, yeah. that's because there's a lack of a respect for what the Lord has given us as far as alcohol goes. I mean, and it is used in the Lord's Supper. It, you know, do yeah. this in remembrance it's of me. It's given to gladden the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even uh, the, James Jordan said this one time. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's true, but I believe it. Uh where in, in the old covenant law, where it talks about the priest's strong drink, that actually is talking about beer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We so did a whole fun. episode on that. Yeah. Oh, well, amen. <laughs> Cheers. We've been doing this. I mean, we, the great cloud of witnesses is like, yes, drink. <laughs> it's it, it, it was probably strong drink, probably Dale's pale ale, you know, probably the same thing. It uh, probably was this beautiful pale ale. My goodness. The original. <laughs> so my question says. So this is slightly off off topic, but since since this is kind of like the the go to Christendom drink, like what's the new Christendom mm-hmm. beer going to be? That's my question. Is that going to come out of Ogden or is it going to come out of Virginia? Oh, it's not going to oh. come out of Ogden because Ogden makes horrible beer. I'll, I'll say that right away. They make horrible beer uh, now. Yeah, that's a good. That's you know what? Fair point. All right. Thanks for throwing one our way. I appreciate it. <laughs> you guys are doing, you're doing school different. You're doing business different. You're doing church different. You might as well get somebody. We might as well start a brewery. We actually, for the longest time, we've talked about how cool it would be to open a pub um, oh, yeah. called The Pugilist because that's just a great name for a pub. Um, what was it? Anyway. What was it? Sorry, sorry. What was that? What was the name? The Pugilist. We call oh, it The Pug. That's yeah. Hans, that's his uh, his A listers, his VIP. Yeah, he stole that name from Brian. <laughs> Ye- for years now, Brian's been saying, "I want to open a pub called the Pugilist," and Eric was like, "That's mine now." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, no, um, my vote would be probably like some kind of amber lager or something like that, or or maybe a Belgian style lager i love those they're just so oh my goodness it's like if butter beer was real you know <laughs> well i will tell you it's going to be at least you know i'm self speaking selfishly here but it will take me quite a bit to uh to be pulled away from from the the obsidian goodness of a, of, a, of a nice stout or a nice porter um you know guinness is very special oh yes it is and it's good for you we could just like why guinness hey, is why good fix for you. what isn't broken you know let's just keep it guinness that's right let's <laughs> keep guinness um so anyway going going back back on the back on the on the track uh, thank you Seth. but you just hey at, at the end of the day maybe new christendom press can kick you some uh you know like royalties after they start a brewery um yeah with <laughs> with we've really surveyed a number of um houses of theology or biblical texts, whether it be soteriology, sacramentology, the Lord's Supper, creation, eschatology at the very end. Uh, but are there any passages as well? Uh, we talked a little bit about judges, uh, which highlight, again, I think we've talked a lot about the sacramental or the, the reconciliatory nature of feasting, but 
I think we ought to zone in a little bit more about why is this relevant now? Why is this practical now? And I think particularly in a day and age in which uh, in Western civilization, Christianity is a joke. Um, what gives us the confidence from scripture that we really can have a table before our enemies and, and jovially laugh at them as we have good food and drink? Mm. I think uh, the, the text that jumps out is Hebrews, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, I think, not to neglect the coming together of the saints. Um, the communion of the saints is a means of grace. It's not a sacrament. You know, it's not that nonsense, but it is a means of grace, and we're commanded to do it. And what you find is that when you actually come together with the saints, whether it's in context of an actual, you know, Lord's Day service, or even just a normal hospitality, you find that Christ wasn't lying when he said that where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be also. Mm. There's real power in community. There's, there's power in hospitality. We're commanded to be hospitable people because it matters. It's not just something that you do to pass the time. God's not arbitrary and he's not capricious. He doesn't command things and then not give us the means to accomplish it. And then he also doesn't command things that are simply busy work. Mm. He only commands those things that achieve the highest good of his glory and the joy of his people and the, and the redemption of his people. And so just to give you a, a really boots on the ground example, one of the things that w was a huge game changer in enriching the culture of our church was doing a weekly potluck and psalm sing. You come together, you're eating good food together, and you're just enjoying one another. And then we go up and we sing psalms. We sing the Lord's word to the Lord and to one another. The amount of depth that you get, it, you know, it, it's a river that is, uh, is a hundred yards wide and a mile deep instead of a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, it will absolutely cruise through whatever culture is weaker around it. And the fact is when you find yourself in Utah, it's a pagan land. It's never been Christian. It's a dark satanic demoniac place. And none of us care. None of us care. <laughs> people, you know, I get like asked when, when I'm talking to people on the phone, they're like, does it feel really oppressive there? You know, is it really dark? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe if you aren't at a church, like I, I guess it could be. Um, but, but you don't notice it when you're answering that horrible fallen black culture with something that is vibrant, full of life, full of light, full of good gifts, not only to itself, but even to that other culture. And so, you know, it, it's sort of like a bowl in a China shop where you have these really delicate cultures set up all around the world. All of them are, have their feet planted firmly in midair. The materialist worldview, the, athe the atheistic worldview, Mormonism, Islam, all of them have their feet firmly planted in midair. They have nothing. They have no root in themselves. They have no power. The enemy's been put to open shame. He's been bound. They have nothing to threaten you with. And if you just go in there and start laughing, they will crumble. It's hilarious to watch. They have, you don't have to care about the strength of the other culture apart from just wanting to see it evangelized and broken down before the altar of the living God so that it might be built up into something that actually starts to glorify him. And so anyway, uh, the, the point is when you get together and you start feasting, you actually commune with the saints. You realize that God blesses people who enjoy him and who enjoy his good gifts. And so you can then go forward 
And you, I mean, you're absolutely like whatever that uh, hero is an X-Men that just has insane momentum. And like whenever he starts rolling, nothing can stop him. That's the church going through, plowing through the foundations that are even non-existent of, a, of an evil culture and setting up an edifice of, of uh, Christendom in this beautiful cathedral and the beatific vision of the Christian life that they can't answer. They have no answer. It's the best thing ever. So you can be full of courage. You can be full of mirth. You can be full of joviality and encouragement, all the while maintaining solemnity and sober-mindedness before God, because he's told you to do all of those things. Christ is a priest king who puts his enemies to open shame. If you participate in that open shaming of his enemies, you're doing a jovial priest kingly work. And so we should try to do that. Okay. Seth, Let's do it. You have Seth taken. I love that. I love it. <laughs> yes that, and amen. That's awesome. Now, yeah. do Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes and amen. <laughs> yeah. Before we before, so, before um, on to... Uh, okay. Well, no, I was, uh, I was just saying, like, you know, that, that's a spectacular way to, to view uh, feasting. And also, it's a very encouraging thing uh, for me here uh, in the city that I live in, um, just because, I mean, it's a big city and a lot of churches. And it just doesn't seem like a whole lot of good that they're doing. But um, mm-hmm. there are a few really good faithful ones that uh, they are, they're doing exactly what you described. And you can tell when you're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's encouraging to see. And it's also encouraging to be reminded of as a Christian, especially in times when there are uh, many Christians who are like, hey, you know, it's over. Throw in the towel. Um, instead, it's much better to be like, bah! yeah, yeah, my God conquered. It's, a target, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's a target rich environment, man. <laughs> Just go out and start swinging and you'll hit something. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of that old... Chesty Puller, you know, the great Marine general, his quote, uh, the enemy's on our left, they're on our right, they're ahead of us and they're behind us. We got them right where we want them. Um, but, the, <laughs> but no, I, I really liked, I've never heard it put that way, but how you assess um, Christ's role as priest and king and how like you're mirroring that when we wait for it, we, we laugh at the enemies of God. Why? Because we'll the one enthroned in the heaven and the heavens last Psalm two. Yeah. Um, that's really, really powerful. And it reminds me of one of my favorite um, Doug Wilson quotes of clearly whether people want to admit it or not, the church is becoming more and more aware today that we have to fight in this culture. The question is, how are we going to fight? And uh, so he said, don't fight like a thug, but like a cavalier and a cavalier with, you know, a joke and a smoke, you know, basically, you know, swinging around like, like Narnians where, what is it that they were ready to be friendly with anyone uh, and didn't give a fig for anyone who, who wasn't ready to be friendly. Uh, and that's, but that's really what's, what's happening when in the midst of turmoil and chaos, we raise our glasses to the King and we partake of all of his goodness, despite what anyone else tries to tell us. So I really appreciated that. And, and, and I didn't mean to jump the gun. I know Seth wants to lean into uh, Thanksgiving. But that being said, with Thanksgiving approaching to be celebrated, um, how can we apply a lot of these um, I- ideas that we've discussed here tonight? Uh, the number, have someone into your home. It, 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 could be, it can be family. It can be friends. Um, 
but just sit down at the table and insist on enjoying yourself. And ideally, you know what? Ideally, it would be with like-minded people. Thanksgiving gets this uh, reputation of being the time where uh, Uncle Dave, the child molester, starts ranting about QAnon and everyone gets uncomfortable. Um, okay, then don't hang out with Uncle Dave. Simple as. Just <laughs> get get around people that you enjoy. They're also Christians. They're like-minded. And in, again, you have to – when you do something important, you're going to be tempted to not enjoy it. This is true of everything. Something that's powerfully good has the potential to be powerfully bad, both for you and everyone around you. So when you're obeying God, you're going to be tempted to self-pity, to look at all the ways in which it's inconveniencing you, to be self-righteous. Insist on not doing that. Organize your attitude. Choose to be joyful. When my, when, when my son, uh, you know, when, I, uh, when he asks for like a cookie, and I'm like, no, bud, mom's making us an amazing dinner. It's going to be ready in 10 minutes. You're not going to get a cookie. And then he starts fussing, you know, <laughs> and I say, okay, well, let, let's go upstairs. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm training his affections. And a lot of, a lot of the people in our generation are good at training. I, I genuinely, and praise God, good at training the affections of our children. We're trying to reclaim a good biblical vision of raising up kids but we don't train our own affections anymore. Um, so, so organize your attitude. Take, a, take an audit of the things that you're thinking. And if any of them would put the focus on yourself, if any of them would seek self-pity, if any of them would look at this glorious thing of people gathered around your table and have any emotion that isn't overwhelmingly positive, kill it. Kill the lizard. Kill the sin. It's your responsibility to do that. Ask the Lord for help. Give your wife the 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 right to to pull you aside and say, "Honey, respect, respectfully, uh, you're being a, a bit of a grouch. You know, let's let uh, can you smile a little bit more? Give her the right to do that, and then all, and then don't hate the fact that you gave her the right to do that if she does it. Say like, you know what? Thanks for being respectful about it. I'm going to have a better attitude now. <laughs> it's not that complicated. You just have to be willing to think of this as you would any other matter of obedience. Right. And that is that it, it can be overwhelmingly glorious if you choose to make it overwhelmingly glorious. But it can also be bad if you choose to be a selfish um, pig uh, about it. <laughs> right. So to summarize, have people in your home or go over to someone else's home if they invite you. If you can't have people in your home and no one invites you over, have the most joyful meal of the year thus far with your family. Insist on it. Make it special. Make it fun. And just simply make sure that your kids look back and say, that was a dang good night that we had. Amen. Said that on, I was going to say, said that on one, I don't know if you want to add anything to that before I uh, try to bring us in to land the plane. I have nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, according to Ben, you got nothing to worry about. When Ben went on that, um, that, that tangent, if you will, or that line of thinking, it reminded me of, no kidding, a couple of weeks ago, our pastor, um, when giving the benediction, he raises, he raised his arms and he goes, you have nothing to worry about in Christ. Nothing. Amen. And, and, and then like everyone's waiting for him to say, but, and then he literally <laughs> looks at the congregation. And he goes, no, I'm serious. 
go live like it. Like, and then everyone laughed, everyone left laughing because we're like, oh, like we've been trained to, as you were saying, like, we know God desires to give us good things. In the context of this conversation, he literally desires to dine with us. How much better could it get? And yet there's always that ounce of doubt or fear or anxiety of, well, I need to, I need to really, really make sure this is good. I need to really, even though it's, again, it's not about you. It's not about the situation. It's about what God has, has given us. So I, I really, really yeah. appreciate you uh, leaning into that. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can have a Thanksgiving dinner of like the best turkey or ham or whatever if you're a turkey hater that you've ever had, or you can have a Thanksgiving dinner of scrambled eggs and popcorn, and both of them can be equally as amazing. What matters is is are you insisting on your heart being mirthful, or are you insisting on on only thinking of the things that you want? Are you insisting on my life for yours, or are you insisting on your life for mine? It comes down to that. And let me tell you. The former is the only option for the Christian. <laughs> the latter isn't, isn't an option for us. It's not available. It's not in the drop-down menu. <laughs> so if you're doing that, you're not acting like a Christian. And you're probably going to start feeling like you're not acting like a Christian because everything is going to suck. And it's going to be your fault. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. The, I wanted to end by zooming in on a particular passage in scripture where I think there's, there's so many glorious moments of feasting in scripture. Uh, one of them that comes to mind, of course, is the risen Christ appearing to the disciples a third time. You know, he's cooking them breakfast on the beach. Like that had to be the most amazing breakfast, right? So I, I love that. I think that's <laughs> such, like the humor of God in that. But I think one of the most intense and then just like, I, I want to see this in a movie has to be in second Kings. And I want to get both of you gentlemen's thoughts on this, of what this says about the kind of, again, the kind of feasting the Lord desires to have with us. This is uh, in second Kings chapter nine. Uh, the wicked queen Jezebel has been leading Israel into uh, idolatry, pagan worship, um, and has been killing prophets. And so finally the Lord sends his avenger Jehu. And it says this uh, in verse 33. Uh, or excuse me, 32. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs looked at him and said, uh, and he said to them, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and the horses trampled on her. And then he went in and ate and drank. Now, a lot of people would be surprised it's even in scripture because we kind of skip over these, these books, right? <laughs> um, but what an awesome, like it throws her down the the text goes out of its way to tell you that it was messy. It was really messy. It was, it was a very uh, gory death. And yet in light of that, it was like, and then the, the chosen one of God, the people of God go in and they, uh, they eat and drink like that. That I remember the first time I read that and I just had to circle every, every part of the, of the verses. Um, so I, I don't know if you gentlemen have any way that you want to connect that to our discussion tonight, but I had to, again, like Ben said earlier, I had to shoehorn that in there. Seth, you go first. I'm I'm looking for a passage right now. Um, so it's absolutely applicable because it it uh, ties into Psalm 68, which is quoted um, by Paul, uh, Psalm 68:18, when he says, uh, "You have ascended on high; you have led captivity captive; you have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there." But then you go on. It says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Selah. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs belong escapes from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will 
bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood, and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. So, yeah, getting eaten by dogs is not a, a very high end for, for people uh, in general, but also, you know, biblically speaking, um, it's, it's foreshadowing the incredible uh, you know, shame that the enemy has suffered, the defeat at the hands of the living God. Um, and uh, it also gets me really excited that one day we will actually see him thrown into the lake of fire and get to witness the own casting down of the enemy who has, uh, has sought after the soul of us all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, that passage is really striking and it does drive home a point that I think we've been pushing towards that in the old covenant, in the old Testament, you went from fighting to then feasting. You went from wilderness to garden. And now you're still doing both of those things, but the order is inverse. So one of the things to be clear about is that proper feasting is an extremely violent thing. You're casting down strongholds, and that's going to mean that dogs are being eaten by dogs. The, unbelie- the uncircumcised Gentiles are going to be eaten by themselves. The evil world will consume itself. But the parallel passage now that, that I think is really applicable is Revelation 19, where we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to, to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So we have that marriage supper of the lamb. And then right after that, so we have the the feast, we have the garden. And then we have later in that same chapter, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So there you have the better Jehu. The Jehu that is going to kill the Jezebel, and he's going to give her to the dogs. The evil Babylon will be given to the dogs. And the beautiful thing is that right before that, in the marriage supper of the Lamb, You had the bride and all of the saints were arrayed in fine linen, bright and pure. And then after the supper, we go and follow the word of God arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. So we get to be those saints that cast the wicked Babylon down to the ground where she belongs, where she'll be consumed by the dogs. Mm. That's what you're doing when you're. I was supposed to say, now go enjoy your Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. Now let's retake the Holy Land. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Jerusalem is ours. I was about to say, <laughs> certainly not. Deus Volt. Yeah, certainly not going on right now. Are we Deus Volting now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly after that, I think we can all go and, uh, you know, grab our chain now and take a, take a dip across the pond. But uh, Ben, that, I mean, you just really 
summed it all up perfectly there. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah. it's, been, it's been phenomenal. Seth, I don't know if you want to give any compliments before we get out of here. Oh, no, I'm, I'm super excited. I, I'm already playing around with the idea of uh, exchanging beers in the next season. We'll, uh, we'll brew some and send in your way, and we'll expect some from Heck your yeah, man. <laughs> You're going to be underwhelmed. <laughs> hey, the ball right now is $2. But hey, $2. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Do not despise the day of uh, small beginnings. That's, that's, that's right. Indeed. That's yeah, awesome. very much. No, I, this has been so such a blessing to me. Thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you for your time. It's been a, a pleasure and an honor being on. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Hey, a blast. I can't wait to, to put this up. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely a lot of sound bites. A lot of sound bites. <laughs> really grateful for it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, go feast. Go be thankful. Feast in thanks. Feast like the kings and queens that we are with Christ, according to Revelation 5. Uh, and, and go do it reconciled to God in the context of uh, the church mother, who is also the church militant. Thank you guys for your time. As always, at the end of the day, make sure that you know your doctrines and know your grains. Thank you.